Today's cemetery is called Cook's Cedar Glade Cemetery. It's a tiny cemetery in Sedona, Arizona. Its residents are pioneers and their families dating from 1918, with the first internment from the Spanish flu. One of these settlers from territorial times and early statehood is who this town is named after. She has a fascinating and inspiring story that I can't wait to share with you today. What lies beneath? Sedona Schnebly. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Files, I'm your host, Lachelle. Thank you for joining Stones, Bones, and Shadows podcast today. We love to take you to cemeteries around the world, telling you all the chilling tales and the heartfelt histories. I want to take a moment to tell you all about our Patreon account. And if you would like more Stones, Bones, and Shadows, blooper reels, extras, merch, and more, Head on over to our website, stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com, and you can get signed up. We have a little extra love for our Patreon members. We're just so grateful for your support and your belief in the podcast. Now for today, I am hanging out with my best girl, Randy. Hello. And she's going to help me tell you all about Sedona. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Um, You know, it's like our... Home, well, close to hometown kind of place, so... Yeah, it's pretty yeah. close to home. So did you remember that Sedona was named after a woman? I I didn't until kind of just getting ready for this episode. Like, I remembered the Schnebly name just because there's lots of things, I think, named after um, that name um, that you would see around Sedona, but I didn't realize the town itself was named after anyone in particular. So that's kind of cool. Right. Yeah. Such an interesting story, too. If you don't know about Sedona, Arizona, it's a desert town near Flagstaff that's surrounded by Red Rock Buttes, steep canyon walls, and pine forests. Through the town runs Oak Creek with clear, cool waters and gorgeous scenery. Uptown Sedona is dense with new age shops, spas, restaurants, Native American art and galleries. And then in the town's outskirts, there's numerous trailheads um, where you can access Red Rock State Park, which offers bird watching, hiking, biking, and picnicking spots. And not to mention, there's actually a giant natural water slide there (laughs) (laughs) called Slide Rock, which is also a state park. So really cool place and don't forget the vortexes (laughs) right Sedona has areas that have been known to have really high energy concentrations so um, that's 
you know, kind of a new age, I guess, concept, but also a very like ancient concept. So it's kind of cool. Uh-huh. Um, and then they call this a vortex. So yeah. uh, Sedona vortexes, and I guess technically it's vortices. Um, so maybe I should say that <laughs> is used sometimes. So um, anyways, according to visitsedona.com, they are thought to be swirling centers of energy that are conducive to healing, meditation, and self-exploration. And these are places where the earth seems especially alive with energy and many people feel inspired, recharged, or uplifted after visiting a vortex. Although they say that all of Sedona is considered to be a vortex, there are specific sites where the energy crackles most intensely. The four best known Sedona vortexes or vortices mm-hmm. are found on Airport Mesa at Cathedral Rock, Bell Rock, and Boynton Canyon and each radiating its own particular energy. Some are thought to produce energy that flows upward, while others, the energy spirals downward, entering the earth. There's even stories of people, like, getting lost more, like, out in Sedona, because, like, the energy, like, it just, it almost, like, makes people sometimes, like, dizzy or confused, too, like, the downward ones. There's all sorts of interesting lore out there, but mm-hmm. you'll most likely find people doing meditation, yoga, or performing other rituals at vortex sites. And, you know, please be respectful. Um, there are guides and healing practitioners that offer vortex tours, but everyone is welcome to visit on their own. And uh, the vortex, the main vortex sites are easy to get to and there's all sorts of maps and directions available at the visitor center as well. So if you just want to experience the mm-hmm. kind of peace and see what the vortex idea is all about, then you can just do that on your own yeah. as well. You can see how it feels for yourself. And I would say that even if you're not interested in high energy centers, just plan on visiting Sedona and plan on going to some of these areas because... It really is almost guaranteed that you will leave feeling better. And it might not be because of whatever energy you feel there. But the secret to Sedona is, well, the secret to the vortexes is that they are located in some of the most devastatingly beautiful scenic areas found among the towering red rock formations. So... Just going to these places and looking at these amazing views, maybe doing some art or taking some photos or just sitting and looking at nature in all of its wonder, you will guaranteed walk away feeling more light and recharged and soothed and restored. So if you go to Sedona You should feel better when you leave if you take part in some of the beauty that is to be seen there. Yeah, for sure. It's really unlike any other place that I have been. So living in Arizona, we've had many opportunities to stay and play in Sedona and do many of these things. And it just really is wonderful. Um, But (laughs) this isn't just a travel little travel log here um on our last trip to Sedona 
we went to the grave of the town's namesake, Sedona Schneble. And she was a pioneer woman from Missouri, and she and her husband helped establish this town out west in the early 1900s, which is pretty amazing because Arizona wasn't even a state till 1912. And so, you know, they were they were coming out there before it was even a state. Yeah. They were one of the first ones out there. There was just settlements and yeah, definitely the the Wild West for sure. And if I have this right, I guess there are a few cemeteries in Sedona. Mhm. But we are obviously going to kind of focus on the one that Sedona herself was laid to rest in. That's right. So this Pioneer Cemetery is Sedona's oldest cemetery. And it was established in 1918 with a death from the Spanish flu. It's kind of like our yellow fever, Spanish flu. It's another one of those we talk about a lot. Yeah, it's one that definitely comes up. It was on part of a homestead that was 160 acres that belonged to a man named Henry Cook. And that's why they call it Cook's Cedar Glade Cemetery. The location is 101 Airport Drive, Sedona, Arizona. But the main thing to look for if you're looking for the cemetery is the Elks Lodge. It is kind of back behind the parking lot. So if you find the Elks Lodge, you are at the right place. <laughs> kind of interesting. I know. But you see some funny things when there's like old towns. As towns yeah. grow up around what used to be out in the boonies is now the middle of town. Yeah, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Why is there a KFC next door <laughs> to the cemetery? <laughs> right. In 1930, Mr. Cook fenced off the cemetery, and it has been in active use since that time. Burials are limited to those related to the early residents of Sedona or their descendants. Sedona Schneble and her husband, Theodore Carl, and their daughter, Pearl, are all buried here. The cemetery is now owned and maintained by the Sedona Historical Society. It's open during daylight hours, and they ask that no pets and that there is nothing left in memorial like flowers or you know trinkets and stuff leave nothing take nothing it's a very small cemetery it's really easy to see everything in about 30 minutes or so and the day that brad and i were there it was windy and it was just bitter cold so 30 minutes was about all we could take but we were able to see everything and take a lot of photographs of course and the thing about it is that there are newer internments there, but they are f- family members of these For pioneer sure. families. Hey, welcome to the high desert. It can be brutally hot and bitterly yeah. cold, <laughs> just depending when you're there or sometimes in the same day. Or sometimes in the same day, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> day to night. Yeah. If you've ever camped in a deserty area, you understand what we mean. I mean, you can literally be freezing at night, freezing temperatures and just so cold. But then in the middle of the day, you could have heat stroke, you know. So 
Yeah, it can be a 40 or sometimes 50 degree swing from day yeah, to night. it is. So, really wild, but... The Cook family members that own the homestead are buried there. Henry and Effie Tennessee Tenny Jameson Cook. <laughs> so her name on her headstone says Effie Tenny Cook. I just thought that that was kind of adorable. It's cute. <laughs> and there also rests their son's first wife that was named Dora Helen who passed away at only 26 years old. There is another Henry buried there, Henry Cecil Red Hedges, known as Cecil during the early portion of his life. He was born in Oklahoma and moved to Sedona, Arizona with his family in the early 1930s, where, except for his military service, he lived for the rest of his life. He served as a private first class in the U.S. Army during World War II. Henry was married to Gertrude Mary Kurtz Thompson, widow of Washington Green Thompson, on October 14, 1950, in Prescott, Arizona. The marriage did not last, and Henry and Gertrude eventually separated and were probably divorced, although there's no record, uh, but there was also no children. He was called Red because of his rust-colored hair, <laughs> which we kind of know about in our family. <laughs> And especially with our Rhett having red hair and a name that is similar to red. So a lot of times people will even think that we're saying red instead of Rhett. So anyway, he's our red Rhett. Yes. <laughs> and Henry was well known to everyone in Sedona as a general handyman and the first litter lifter for keeping Sedona beautiful. Henry died at the Veterans Hospital in Prescott, Arizona. The reason for the spelling of Henry, H-E-N-E-R-Y, on his headstone is unknown. It doesn't appear that way in any other document. So, poor guy, it seems like his name was misspelled on his headstone. Yeah. So, someone made a mistake that was chiseling his headstone there. There are many children's graves and some really old ones that have worn practically away and they've replaced these with newer stones. Not totally replaced, but they placed a new one behind the old ones so that you can read who is buried there. And But you can still see the original stone as well even though you can't read it. So I think that's kind of cool that they did both. Yeah, I like that. You can kind of still see the more historic you know, option, but then right. still learn about who was there. Because it's always sad when we see stuff that's just like an old cross or something like that, and you just have no, you know, it's hard to know who's there and their story. Right. There's no clue as to what their story is. And sometimes right. I can research and look and look and not find a clue, even if you have the name, but it just seems like if there's a name and a date that you can at least have an idea. So the plot of the Schnebles is surrounded by some red brick. The red brick is fitting for the red rock. And Sedona's is there in the center. And her husband is to one side and then um, one of her children on the other side. And it says February 24th, 1877, and November 13th, 1950, at the bottom it says, An Immortal Pioneer of Sedona. 
And then her husband's is Theodore Carlton Schneebly. And his dates are December 29th, 1868 to March 13th, 1954. And it says underneath his, he lives on in Schneebly Hill. Another little grave that that I really thought was kind of neat was one that says Leonard, and it's also surrounded by red brick. And on one side, it says cherished wife, Dee Dee Johnson, July 4th, 1902 to March 24th, 1992. Like, that's when you were born, Ran. <laughs> yeah, that's like two weeks, three weeks yeah, before. so like 90 years old. Right, yeah. And then on the husband's side, it says, Beloved husband, James Misner, January 12th, 1920, to September 5th, 1965. So kind of interesting, like, he was 18 years younger than her and also died a lot younger. Yeah, yeah. And it says, Dearly beloved, beyond the rainbow and the sunset, your gentle face I always see, with a thousand memories of love and joys you gave me, your cherished wife, Dee Dee, October 1965. I like that. So that's just right after he had passed away. Kind of sweet and sad, huh? Yeah, that's cool. And then there's also another plaque to the side, which I guess she added later. And it says, maybe I'll move to Arizona where it's summer, when it should be summer, where the cool breeze blows down the green, green canyon and the fluffy white clouds drift high above the towering red spires. Arizona, a paradise for artists and dreamers. Doris D. Dee Dee Leonard, 1976. She was a little bit of a poet and obviously just loved this area that they had lived in together. And so I just thought that that was worth mentioning. There's an Ernest Albert Thomas who was in World War II and, um, it's sunk down a little bit, so it's hard to see his date of death, but he was born in 1905. There's some very, very old stones that you can tell have been there forever, you know, sandstone or some red rock. And you can see a little bit of carving and a little bit of the dates. And then, like I said, below will be another little plaque or something that this one says, Rufus L. Thomas, December 5th, 1903, January 3rd, 1934. It's kind of a, a younger person. And then there's one close by that you can read most of the dates and the name, um, but it was of a child was a baby, Ernest O. Smith, July 3rd, 1933, July 3rd, 1933. And the sandstone 
rock that was originally inscribed for him has these kind of pretty flowers that are growing up the side and um, anyway it's it's a sweet little grave Thomas is one of the names that you see one of the Sedona pioneer names Smith as well so I will be sharing of course all of these there's also a few that just say unknown and so they weren't able to either you know get the records early enough or be able to read them and so they just have a pretty stone behind them that says unknown with some pretty scroll scroll work around it and so I I just always think that that's really sad yeah it's hard to honor somebody that you know you just don't know anything about and I think it just makes us think like what our you know legacy is after you go right who who will remember who what how you know how did you make an impact for sure yeah that's that's it and hopefully for me I will leave this impact of helping people understand cemeteries a little better but also helping to give some of these stories you know recording them and yeah absolutely so now that we know kind of about Sedona the town and the cemetery I am kind of curious where did Sedona Schneppley's parents get her name because <laughs> Sedona is kind of unique. Yeah, I can't say that I've ever heard it as someone's name and that's probably why we don't realize that it came from a woman's name, right? That the town named it. And so Philip and Amanda Miller gave birth to a little daughter on February 24th, 1877 in Gorin, Missouri. Her mom Amanda, she just thought up the name Sedona for the child because she thought it sounded so pretty. So yeah, it is literally a name that she made up. And her middle name was kind of fancy too. It's Arabella. So she's named Sedona Arabella Miller. So quite a pretty name. The child was nicknamed Dona and those close to her called her this throughout her life. So that was her little nickname is Dona. And she had big round dark eyes and dark hair with a light complexion. She attended the Gorin Academy where she received a fine education and even went to finishing school where she learned foreign languages and how to play the piano. After she graduated, Sedona taught school briefly. So when did she meet Mr. Schnebley? When she was about 20 years old, she met Theodore Carlton Snebley, who was called Carl, or TC. And he was an enterprising young man who owned a hardware store in town with his brothers. Well, in no time, they had fallen in love and wanted to marry. However, to her parents and her community, this was quite shocking because the Millers... And in fact, most of the town were Methodists. And T.C. Schneebly was a Presbyterian. Right. 
which I'm assuming was very scandalous. <laughs> it sounds like apparently it was, but Donna knew true love when she found it, and despite all that disapproval, she married T.C. Schnebley anyway. And they lived there in Gorin for a time and had two children, a boy, Ellsworth, who was nicknamed Tad, and he was named after T.C.'s brother, who was named also Ellsworth and nicknamed Tad, and a baby girl named Pearl after one of Dona's sisters. And so T.C.'s brother, Tad, the one that their son was named after, had been living out in the Arizona Territory. And in fact, he'd been sent out west for medical reasons, and he had just found this land so beautiful. And so Tad kept urging T.C. and Dona to come out west to be with him and his wife. I'm sure they told them stories about how awesome Arizona was, like kind of teased them with talking about how there was beautiful scenery and all the water and fishing and hunting and acreage of land for planting and, you know, mm-hmm. sold the story of the out west life. Yes. And at that time, there was only about 15 families in that Oak Creek Canyon area. And the first settler in that area was named John James Thompson in 1876. And he had the advantage of finding an abandoned Yavapai garden that was still bearing crops. And so there's actually an area there in Oak Creek Canyon that they call Indian Gardens. Do you remember that place? Kind of where like the Dairy Queen and stuff is like over there. It's called Indian Gardens, and I never really understood why. Well, this is why. They found this garden that had been abandoned, and so they just kind of took up there and kept it going. Three years later, the family of Abraham James arrived, and Thompson had been an acquaintance of James in Utah, and he actually married James's daughter, Margaret. A few more settlers came to the Oak Creek Canyon area in the 1880s and 1890s, including Jesse Bear Howard. (laughs) Did he fight a bear? (laughs) I hope he fought a bear with a nickname like Bear. (laughs) Which has a really great story, too. I need to find more on that. But, um, yeah, he had... (laughs) There's some of just so many... Wow, we need a a story for another time about him. Yes, because of hunting um, a big bear. But it was like he can't remember he was put in prison but I don't remember why and he like broke out of prison and came back to Arizona and then like I think he felt guilty about it and turned himself in and then like they let him go or he <laughs> escaped and came back to Arizona <laughs> it was like a whole thing but so among um, some of the other settlers Stephen Purdyman, Frank Owenby, Juan Armijo, Jack Robinson, John L.V. Thomas, William Dyer, Henry Sherman, Charles Willard, and John H. Lee. They all kind of settled along Oak Creek, one of the few streams in Arizona that runs all year, and it still does. This is amazing. Yes. Yeah, it's 
just so beautiful. I, I, I love it. And apparently you can see why people would come into this area and be like, um, yes, this is, this place is perfect. It has water. It has beautiful, clear water and springs as well. And, and these fertile areas that they could grow food in. And when it was such a precarious existence in the early mm-hmm. settling yeah. of the West, I mean, it was still difficult, but you wanted as many opportunities and um, resources as you could, right? For hunting and fishing and farming. And in Arizona, to find a place that has that continuous flow of beautiful water, I mean, that is life right there. Yes, absolutely. And so in 1901, T.C. arrived in Oak Creek, which they just kind of called the Red Rock Country in those times. And if I'll show you pictures, you'll see why. Um, he got there before the rest of his family, I think, to kind of go check it out and get things settled and then have his family come over. And so together with the other pioneer families, They blasted out irrigation routes and moved the water through ditches, flumes, and pipelines. He then purchased 80 acres from Frank Owenby, who had homesteaded the land, with an orchard in the area known as Camp Garden, which was also along Oak Creek. He began to haul the produce goods that he produced up to the city of Flagstaff where he sold them, and then he would purchase goods that they needed down in their area, buying extra salt, sugar, coffee, nails, you know, those dry goods that are needed, and he would sell them to the other pioneer families from his living room. And he would also bring back the mail for all the families there. Soon, T.C. sent for his wife, Sedona, and their two children, and she boarded a train with her her children and belongings that was headed to the mining town of Jerome, which we did an episode about Jerome as well. So another kind of Northern Arizona, small settlers town. And TC was waiting in Jerome for his family to arrive. And when they did, he put his family and all their possessions on a wagon and headed towards Oak Creek. Which still just seems kind of funny that Jerome was a big town, right? You know, it was, it was the place that that the train came into but yes makes sense that it was a mining town so they needed the railroad to come through there just kind of fun yeah of course it was a ghost town for a really long time and now there's kind of some life that's been breathed back into the place recent years due to tourism yeah it follows kind of that pattern of a lot of Arizona towns and the West in general, these large booms because of the mining and the fortunes to be made there. And then once that wasn't really working out too well anymore, it just like all kind of went away. But yeah, super interesting. So TC, Sedona and the kids, they all arrived at their new home on October 12th, 1901. So still 11 years from statehood. And together, these two brothers and their wives worked their farm in Camp Garden along that beautiful Oak Creek. In a few years, TC and Dona had built themselves a large two-story home with room to fill with visitors until they filled it with kids. 
They started orchards, planted seedlings, brought over from Missouri, peaches, apples, cherries, apricots, and plums. They also provided boarding rooms in this large house of theirs for travelers and also ran a general store from the basement of their home instead of the living room, still supplying all those items, those dry goods, you know, like coffee and sugar and nails. They entertained in their home often. Sedona's excellent cooking skills as well as her piano skills were applauded by many. So popular was the Schnevely house that sometimes TC erected tents for extra guests. But apparently Donna really didn't like meeting new people and this was sometimes hard for her. So obviously TC was the extrovert in the relationship. (laughs) He's like, yeah, everyone just come on over. We recognize this, don't we? (laughs) She is like, what? New people? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And he's like, yeah, it'll be fine. They can sleep in tents in the front yard and we'll just whip them up dinner. No big deal. Soon the Schnebleys hired road crews to build what is now known as Schnebley Hill Road. And this road provided a much better way to take their crops up to Flagstaff. And didn't you guys just drive that road like not too long ago? We did. And it was really rough. We thought, oh, that would be fun. Let's go down Schnebley Hill Road. And it took a really long time and four-wheel drive to actually make it down there. It's pretty washed out in places, and there's big rocks you have to drive over. There's a lot of the all-terrain vehicles that are going over it. And so it's the road is pretty torn up nowadays. Like, there's amazing views, and it... And it is really beautiful, but I wouldn't recommend it unless you're just wanting to have a four-wheel drive experience. Yeah, it sounds like unless you want to hike it or, yeah, four-wheel drive, it's kind of kind of a little crazy from yeah. what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but that's okay. And as we said before, their large house served as a residence for visitors. The guests never paid more than a dollar a day for room and board. So it was mentioned in one source that if guests had tuberculosis, they were considered contagious and were placed in tent houses on the property. So (laughs) they kind of sounds like it took anyone and everyone and made it work. I know, right? And all I could think of was that they did send people out to Arizona, you know, even like Doc Holiday and stuff, you know, people that had tuberculosis, they're like, go to Arizona, it'll be so much better for your lungs. Yeah. But then they get here and it's like, now what? You know, so I guess they they still house them out in tents. And so I just thought, wow, that that's pretty interesting. So not only did Sedona cook for everyone staying in their home hotel, she tended to her children. But she still had a full day of things to do on the farm. Like, you have to make, you know, your soap and candles and your canning, the fruit and vegetables that you harvest. Pioneering was just a ton of work for both men and women in those times. Yeah, I I mean, we can't even really imagine, like, just every single thing had to be done by hand. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, no, obviously, this dishwashers or clothes washing machines and 
even like hanging up the drawing and making food from the very you know scratch turning butter like all Mm -hmm. all the things just took so much effort yeah I just have so much respect for any and all pioneers and the women especially so using water from Oak Creek both the Native Americans and our first Anglo settlers were able to use it to irrigate small patches of ground to grow their own food for their families and because in those days every homestead right had to have their own vegetable garden and a collection of chickens or turkeys pigs cattle provided beef as well as milk and butter sure but it was the fruit growing particularly apples and peaches which played the most significant part in the early Sedona economy People would come up from the Phoenix Valley to get fruit and from Flagstaff. And so they were selling so much of the produce that they were growing, especially in their orchards. Soon the small community of farmers and ranchers held enough promise of growth that TC decided to apply to open a post office at his store. (laughs) In 1902... So the post office at his store, meaning at his home as well. (laughs) The post office and store (laughs) in his house, you know. (laughs) And hotel. His his hotel. (laughs) (laughs) One-stop shop. Uh, In 1902, the community around the Schnebleys numbered 55 people, and they were in need of better postal service. So TC applied to establish the post office. They needed a name for their little outpost. And the first two names TC chose Oak Creek Crossing and Schnebley Station were sent to the Postmaster General in Washington, D.C., and they were sent back with the rejection too long, scrawled in the margins. (laughs) Meaning that the names were literally too long to fit on a standard postal cancellation stamp. So his brother Tad suggests that they name the post office Sedona, because she was a character that would stand well as a symbol for the community. And so the name Sedona was sent off, and on June 26, 1902, that name was approved. And that's how Sedona, Arizona got its name. For the next three years, life was pretty sweet for both Sedona and the community bearing her name. Dona gave birth to a third child named Genevieve, Dona was a favorite in social circles, and the family enjoyed outings with others in the community. She was still the cultured and refined lady that had attended finishing school back in her youth, but she was also the hardworking mother and homemaker that was needed in those days. Her great-granddaughter would later remember... Whenever she had to carry buckets of water from the creek, she was planning on how she would set her table with a touch of class. Sedona's great-granddaughter has written a book about Sedona and TC, and it looks really good. So we didn't read it for this episode, but in the book, she gathered family stories for 30 years before she wrote it. And it's called The Journal of Sedona Schnebly by Lisa Schnebly Heidinger. She said in an interview that she had always pictured them traveling in a covered wagon out in the west, but in actuality, most of the trip was made by train from back east. 
and that when they came out west they had been used to gas lamps and all kind of modern conveniences available. You know those <laughs> mod cons like gas lamps. Gas lamps. All the luxury. <laughs> available in the city. But of course out in the west those five families lived in much more rustic conditions and every day she needed to bring in the chopped wood for the stove, bring her laundry down to the creek and hand wash it, kill chickens, collect eggs, cut up fruit, and everything else just to put those meals on for the boarders and her family. And I guess her great-granddaughter said, thinking about it makes me tired. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, makes me tired too, actually. <laughs> Oh, so and fair. totally fair, like yeah. like we said before, it's just nothing was was simple and and uh, easy in those days. So true. The next thing that happened will change their lives forever. We'll be right back after this message. On June 12, 1905, a tragedy occurred in their little family. Sedona's five-year-old daughter, Pearl, was killed when on an outing with her pony. She became tangled in the reins and was drugged in the reins and strangled. Oh, that's so awful. Oh, little Pearl was buried right there in the front yard of the family home to keep her close. Remember, you know, there wasn't even a cemetery yet. And so people just kind of buried their loved ones where they could. And sometimes like this, just right on their own property. Sure. Well, as you can imagine, Sedona became absolutely grief stricken and very depressed. And her health began to suffer. This time, the Schnebleys decided that they would return to Missouri in an effort to improve Dona's health. There, the Schnebleys continued farming and had three more children. And eventually, they moved to Boyero, Colorado, where they also continued to farm. Their economic situation, though, was a difficult one. And also, TC's health wasn't good. His medical doctor recommended that he should what? return to Arizona and so the family decided that they would go back to Sedona in 1931. By then TC was in bad health and Sedona's climate was better for him. The family farm that they had worked and loved it was long gone and so the Schnebleys rented a one-room house. TC helped Walter Jordan around the orchards and property, and Sedona helped his wife Ruth with the cleaning and cooking and care of the Jordan's three children. She also took in washing and ironing for the Civilian Conservation Corps boys, their uniforms, for 10 cents per shirt. For the rest of her life, Sedona Schnebley dedicated herself to her community. Residents remembered her as a generous and a spirited woman who taught Sunday school, you know, as if she didn't have 
enough to do during the week. She also taught on Sundays. <laughs> and she would welcome all the small children and bring them cookies and have them say their Bible verses to her. She was known as Mother Schnebly or Aunt Dona, and she also spearheaded efforts to build Wayside Chapel. Of course she did. She just sounds <laughs> like a neat lady, doesn't she? She was just involved in every part of her community, really. She put on pageants, uh-huh. and she was always a prodigious writer and correspondent. So always kind of kept in touch with people, even when it was difficult to keep in touch back then. It's one of those things that I think that I want to try and do more is write actual things out, you know, by hand, send some letters once in a while. I mean, those are things that now it's not like you're going to be able to go back someday and read the text that you and I would send each other, you know, over 20 years of time. Right. So a lot of history is lost in the way that we communicate nowadays. So they still have, you know, they have all these letters and things to be able to go with. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. I like that. In the years 1930s to the 1950s, she and TC were very happy here. TC was so proud of her and of this town. And he was so thrilled that when they got back to Sedona, they discovered that the people there called that road that they had built up to Flagstaff, Schnebly Hill. And that just really meant a lot to him that they would call that Schnebly Hill. And this great granddaughter, she also told the story that TC was kind of an unofficial mayor, ambassador, and greeter. Every day he would go downtown, which is what we actually call Uptown Sedona right now, but he would go with a couple of pincushions that he had made from Century Plant, and he would put these in his pocket, and if he met any strangers, because he knew everyone, and so he knew if you didn't live there, then he would greet the people and say, what would you like to do, and what do you want to see, and do you want to go on a hike, or do you want to take a tour? And then he would give these pincushions out to people. And so Lisa, their great-granddaughter, was sent one years later. She did an Arizona Highways article and told the story. And a woman who had gone to Sedona as a bride on their honeymoon, they met TC. And he had given her one of these century plant pincushions. That's so cool. Like, what a neat and she'd had keepsake. It all of these years, yes. And so they sent it to her great-granddaughter. I mean, how cool would that be to have someone send you a little piece of history from your great-grandparents? I think that is so cool. Another thing mentioned by Lisa was that, the, was that with Tad and Pearl being the first two children and the baby sister Pearl was the one that was killed in the accident that Tad kind of felt responsible, maybe as much as Sedona did, and never left his mother for long, always staying close to her, and would go back to teach schools and then come back in the summers and always kept their Sedona home as their permanent address. So it's kind of sad. Like, he just, that tragedy really affected him and kind of carried 
that with him in his life. Oh, it's just so heartbreaking. In 1950, the Wayside Chapel that she helped raise the funds for just off Highway 89A, it was completed and dedicated to Sedona Schnevely. At this time, Dona was suffering terribly from cancer and she passed away on November 13th, 1950. Dona and TC had 53 years of marriage together and TC died only four years later on March 13th, 1954. And as we told you, the Schnebleys are buried in the Cook's Cemetery beside their little girl Pearl, whose remains were relocated from that previous location. Right. Today, Sedona Schnebley is an honored member of Charlotte Hall Museum's Territorial Women's Memorial Rose Garden in Prescott. There's also a beautiful bronze sculpture of her that resides majestically in front of the Sedona Public Library. I love that. She's still so um, remembered, has so much namesake after her. Yes. Something interesting about Sedona, the town, is how once the word got back in the early days about what an amazingly beautiful place Sedona was, Mm -hmm. there were many people that wanted to come visit the area, write books, photograph, and make movies there. And almost a hundred feature films and other countless video productions and commercials have been shot either in full or in part in the Sedona area. That's amazing, isn't it? It's a lot. (laughs) The movie-making history of Sedona started when the author, Zane Gray, arrived in 1918 and rented a cabin in Oak Creek Canyon for a summer. And he wrote his book that would become famous. It was called Call of the Canyon. And in the 1930s, a movie crew came here to film Zane Gray's book into a silent film. So cool. Gonna give a little shout out to my friend who listens to this podcast, Susan, because she loves Zane Gray books and collects them, like tries to find the earlier editions of them and stuff. And um, we we talk about Zane Gray quite a bit out on our our hikes and stuff. So here it is. It kind of (laughs) started. There were also several other movie crews, even though it was the Great Depression, and during World War II, things slowed down in the movie-making movie area just a bit, obviously because of the war. But after World War II, it just boomed. So between 1945 and 1950, there were at least three movie crews a year in Sedona making Western films. And for three decades, Westerns were the most popular movies in America, from shoot 'em ups to romance, dramas, and the singing cowboy films. They attracted audiences around the world. And it seems that every famous studio and every famous movie star came to Sedona during that time. We're talking about John Wayne, who shot films here more than once. And like Henry Fonda came three times to Sedona to make movies. Glenn Ford, Barbara Stanwyck, Sterling Hayden, Tyrone Power, Jimmy Stewart, Rock Hudson, even Donna Reed. I mean, such big names. 
Joan Crawford even made her cult favorite Johnny Guitar here, and just hundreds of other stars. And did you know that even Elvis Presley came to Sedona in 1967 to film the movie Stay Away Joe, which wasn't really a big hit, but hey, Elvis. A great story the Sedona Heritage Museum tells is that in 1946, John Wayne did his first stint as a producer and made a movie here called Angel and the Bad Man. And he found this old train station near Flagstaff and hauled it down the hill to Sedona. I <laughs> don't know how that works, but... <laughs> I can only <laughs> <He> took, imagine. <laughs> took the whole train station and moved it to Sedona and put it into his new movie set. And later it was abandoned and then the museum was given it as a gift by whoever the owner was. And <laughs> they picked it up, picked it up, moved it again and brought it to the Sedona Heritage Museum. <laughs> I love it. So you can still see it today. They also created a Western town street set, a sound stage, and a motel were built. That area is now the Sedona West Residential Subdivision, where the streets are named after movies made here, like Johnny Guitar Street, don't you love that? <laughs> Pony Soldier, and Gun Fury. <laughs> so when you visit the museum, you can hear all about the history of the golden age of Western film as made in Sedona. When you visit the museum, you will find in the old telegraph office movie clips and about how the locals made money off the movie crews. All the different sets, movie stars, little quotes and anecdotes, all about those people who came here to film. Then, of course, there are stories of Sedona Schnebly, the namesake who did laundry and cooking for some of the movie stars. And, of course, I'm sure some of them stayed at her of little... Of course she did. Well, I guess that was after her bed and breakfast, but she had to do her part to make people feel welcome. Yeah. And you can see TC, like, going down and... Oh, yeah. Talking to people and... So... You know, what do you need? Do you need a tour? you need some place to stay? I can hook you up. Need a meal? Need your shirt ironed? <laughs> yeah. And um, the county sheriff, who was only part-time at the time, provided security to the movie crews, and every kid and every cowboy in town worked at some point in time as an extra, a wrangler, some other type of job and even rented their horses and wagons to the movie crews. So sounds like the whole town was kind of not only making bank <laughs> off of this, but kind of involved. They were in the movies too. Yeah. So definitely worth going to the museum, which we all went yeah. uh, together. But it, I, I remember parts of it, but it was when I was pretty little, so... Right. It was it was when you guys were a lot younger. Um, so it'd be worth going to again and kind of revisiting that, all the history and the films. So it's kind of fun to remember all the films that were made there. Yeah, absolutely. So Randy, what is your favorite part about Sedona? Sedona the the person or Sedona the place? Or both? Let's say first Sedona the person and then Sedona the place. So 
uh, you know, Sedona the person, we talked about it a lot, but I think just, I just admire her strength and her work ethic. You know, that's just something to take away from those early settlers and um, just very, very strong woman, but also very admired and nurturing too. So it was just, that that's just what a great example of just a strong person. Right. Sedona, the place is, I mean, for me, it's just the unique views of like the red rock. Like it just feels like, mm-hmm. You know, and one of the rocks is called Cathedral Rock, but it is, it's almost like you're surrounded by these large, graceful buildings, but they're natural formations. And it's just truly amazing and kind of magical. So when you're just pulling into town and you just look around at these towering, beautiful formations, it's like just pretty awe-inspiring. Remember when we were there a couple months ago and we were just eating at the chipotle yeah and it's like you guys it's like the best view i would venture to say of like any chipotle almost in the world like how there's no bad views in sedona no matter where you are yeah just big plate glass windows and we're just like eating our little chips and guacamole and we're just looking out there and we're just like oh my god gosh look at the view from here it's just amazing like any other place if they had a view and giant glass window like that it would be a fancy restaurant like that's you know but it's just that's how you're just immersed in it when you're there yeah chipotle yeah (laughs) get your burrito and just stare at the amazing views yes I think for me, like same as you with Sedona, like she was pretty strong. Like she knew what she wants. She knew who she loved. She, you know, and yet she was human and was completely devastated and depressed for a while and had to, you know, get her health back and and fight back and still had three more children and, you know, continue to bless the lives of others and so I just I just really thought that she was a neat person. I was glad that we could tell her story. And for me in Sedona, I think one of my favorite places is um, down by the creek. I really love Oak Creek and I just love listening to water. We've talked about it several times before on the podcast. Like water is just magical in Arizona. And for yes girls that have been raised out west here it just the sight of water the sound of water the smell of water it's just it's just so amazing so just to see all that beautiful clear cool water running by is always just one of my favorite things but yes of course views are amazing oh yeah you always appreciate that yeah, I mean, I I went hiking for like five miles the other day just to see a tiny little trickle of water. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because we were so excited to see water, like in a tiny little waterfall. And, you know, it's just, it's what we do here for sure. Well, do you want to, do you want to tell everybody about the time before that, that you took a walk through the water? We haven't talked about that. <laughs> We haven't. I don't know if people want to 
want to be traumatized. <laughs> Welcome to Arizona desert. Well, you know, I guess Taylor can decide whether she wants to put this in here or not. But yeah, to any of our listeners that have kind of followed along and want to come out to Arizona and do, you know, see these amazing places like I yeah I was attacked by Africanized bees so there was a there was a little bit of a a scary situation we were in but everyone's okay and you know we're we're a little uh nervous about it we all got like dozens of stings and you know just out enjoying the water um which is why (laughs) this reminded reminded us of it but yeah, you got to be careful out there. Yeah, well, I was just so grateful. And Susan. She was there. Susan, our friend Susan. She was there too. Yeah. Picking stingers out of each other. And anyway, I was just so grateful that you guys were okay. And yeah. Yeah, those, bees, those they, bees, they chase. <laughs> they come to find out. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, so we're going to just little public service announcement about (laughs) bees attacking okay just in case this ever happens maybe we'll save a life randy (laughs) yeah i guess you know if you come out to arizona in general it's just you have it is really rugged country even if you're not really feeling like you're in rugged country like the heat is intense the exposure is intense the um, you know, flash floods and the animals and bugs want to kill you. The Australia of the United States, where <laughs> everything wants to kill you. There's lots of venomous things, and it shouldn't deter you from seeing any of these things. But it's really just good to be aware and um, make sure that you are prepared for a variety of situations. So, and it's crazy because I'm a native Arizonan. I've done lots of things, you know, out in the woods and the desert and out in the wilds. I have never run into a rattlesnake or a Gila monster monster or, you know, I've never even been stung by a bee while out trekking around like in my yard, you know, but it's like, I don't know. So you just have to be prepared for some of these things and then just, you know, be watchful. I've seen like dozens of snakes. <laughs> yeah, you have. You get out there in the desert a lot. Yeah. And Gila monsters and all the all the things, but all the things anyway. Well, thank you Randy. We're so glad that you are here. Yeah. And <laughs> yes. that you can help tell about our beautiful Sedona. Yes. And our beautiful Sedona. I'm always happy to to tell about our our home state especially. So So the next time you're in Sedona, take a few minutes and say hello to the Schnebleys, pioneer people who left their heart and soul, sweat, blood, and tears in the wilds of Arizona and helped carve out a beautiful place for us to live, see, and visit. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadows.
can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok, where you can interact with us. As always, we love to hear from our listeners. Thank you.